Welcome to this Elman Wall Tax Team podcast, part of a series of podcasts helping you understand a little more about aspects of UK tax. This episode, to help those who complete tax returns, looks at various aspects of what, how and when to report details to HMRC. This episode features myself, Dean Chamberlain and Sarah Hawkins. I have recently received a notice to file a tax return from HMRC. I've never needed to file a tax return before, so do I need to do anything in relation to this? Well, around 9 million taxpayers annually complete self-assessment tax return. The vast majority are now online. Due to the way the POIE system works, most employees are now required to complete tax returns, although they should always check their annual P60s that summarise their total pay and tax for the year. So normally HMRC will want tax returns from individuals falling into other categories. These can include individuals holding directorships of companies, self-employed, high earners normally earning more than 100k, individuals with untaxed investment income, for example rental income, individuals who are in receipt of child benefit, which under the new rules is now taxable. Those within the self-assessment system and hence needing to complete tax returns also can include income from trusts, pension schemes, non-resident companies in receipt of rental income. You mentioned self-assessment a couple of times. What does that mean? If you look at a tax return, you'll see that it essentially has two main sections. One asks for details about your income and capital gains, together with the allowances and reliefs you can claim. The other section is the tax calculation section. So by completing this tax calculation section, you are in effect determining your own tax, i.e. you are assessing yourself. Actually, it's not just the tax calculation part that you are assessing yourself on. At each stage of completing the return, you need to decide what income goes where and how to determine that income. A lot of guidance can be found on HMRC website, but it's still down to you to enter what is considered to be the correct details. Under the self-assessment, SA for short, HMRC operate an approach called Process Now, Check Later. So even if you complete and file the return, you don't get the all clear immediately. So I've got to assess myself. Doesn't that mean that I need to know all the ins and outs of the tax calculation? Actually, no. For two reasons. Firstly, if you use the HMRC online system, the software will automatically run your tax calculation for you. Secondly, It's not yet compulsory to file a tax return online, hence you can still prepare your tax return using the paper version and if you send that into HMRC they will complete the tax calculation part for you. Hang on, so if I can either use HMRC software to do the tax calculation or partly complete a paper return and let HMRC do the rest, why do I need to pay you as my accountant? Ah, I thought you may ask that. Perhaps I can partly answer that by telling you when MPs were last surveyed on this, and bearing in mind they set the rules for this, only a very small percentage of them stated they were able to correctly complete their tax returns. As mentioned, it's not just a case of putting numbers in the right boxes, it's how you get the numbers in the first place. There is no question that many taxpayers can and indeed should prepare their own tax returns, but not everyone can. Indeed, we very often find that when we take a client on who has previously completed their own tax returns, we check past filings and find errors that have led to tax savings having been overpaid, sometimes more than our fee, so we save clients money even before we start doing a tax return. Further, if you wish HMRC to do some of the work for you, 
then earlier filing deadlines apply, and experience has shown, together with human nature, many miss this deadline, so they then rely on accountants to help them out. Okay, so what deadline should I be aware of? Let's go back to your first question about who needs to do a tax return. The legal obligation is that you only need to do a tax return if HMRC sends you a physical notice to complete one. Of course, you cannot avoid this by not telling HMRC your address and many penalties have been levied on taxpayers who haven't advised HMRC of their change of address. Also, if you've never had a tax return previously, you have a legal obligation to tell HMRC you need one. Generally, once you're in the system, it's not that easy to then escape. But you shouldn't need to tell HMRC you need a return each year. If you've not previously filed a return and think you now need one, you have until the 5th of October following the end of the tax year to contact HMRC about this. Once you receive a notice to file a return, the deadline for submission of a paper return is the 31st of October if you wish HMRC to do your calculation, or 31st of January if you are filing the return online. Some employees who complete tax returns have a deadline of 30th of December if they wish any tax liability to be coded out of their personal allowance. So this means they they avoid actually having to make a direct payment. You mentioned payments of tax. If I don't fall into the category of taxpayers who can have their liability coded out, when do I need to pay my tax? Remember, completing a tax return is not only about having to pay a tax liability, In many cases, a tax refund can arise, and normally this can be paid to you as soon as your return has been filed. We have some clients who send us the details for their tax return within a few weeks of the end of the tax year, so they can receive their refund back at the earliest opportunity. However, where you have a liability to pay, then the due date for this is always the 31st of January following the end of the tax year. Although this is where things start to get a little complicated, Some taxpayers need to make what is called payments on account. It may be easiest if I explain this by way of an example. Let's say for the year ended 5th of April 2014, your tax liability is 20k. So this needs to be paid as at 31st of January 2015. However, as at that date, you will also need to make your first payment on account for the year ended 5th of April 2015. The way the system works is that HMRC assume your income for the year ended 5th of April 2015 will be roughly equal to that for 2014, and hence the liability will be roughly the same. Based on this underlying assumption, the payments on account are set at exactly 50% each of the previous year's liability. Thus, in my example, these payments on account would be 10k each. In total, therefore, as at 31st of January 2015, you would owe 30k. Then, as at 31st of July 2015, you would pay a further 10k, making up the second payment on account. If your actual liability for the year ended 5th of April 2015 was exactly 20k, you would owe nothing further for that year. But as at 31st of January 2016, you would still need to make your first payment on account for the year ended 5th of April 2016. If your liability for the year ended 5th of April 2015, was more than that for 2014, the excess is payable again at 31st of January 2016 and so on. If your liability for the year ended 5th of April 2015 is less than the 20k in my example, then you will get a refund of the excess as soon as your return is filed. Indeed, it should be possible to make what is called a reduced payment claim, 
So if you know the position in advance, you don't need to make the payments that otherwise would arise. Not the easiest of concepts I know. Again, perhaps that's why you need an accountant. I've just had a look at the actual tax return form and I'm not surprised most MPs couldn't understand it. It's just question after question after question. No comment, but I would intend to agree with you. Actually, once you start to break the form down, it's not that bad. Basically, you need to tailor return to your own circumstances. Everyone needs to complete the main section. This itself is broken into three main sections. The first section deals with investment income. For example, remember that even though bank interest suffers a deduction of 20% income tax at source, it is still absolutely necessary to declare this on your return. Similarly, with dividend income and other investment income received. The second section deals with tax reliefs you may wish to claim. For example, personal pension contributions and gift aid donations. The third section is the declaration itself. The signing off of the return to say that it is complete and accurate to the best of your knowledge. Beyond that, what you complete depends on your personal circumstances. Employees and directors need to complete the employment section. Partners of partnerships complete the partnership section. And self-employed complete the self-employed section. Of course, if more than one section is appropriate, then more than one will need to be completed. Then there are sections for rental income, for residency and domicile issues, and for capital gains. Again, only to be completed as appropriate. There is also an additional information section which deals with more specialist circumstances, for example, making claims for interest relief. Then finally, there is a tax calculation section when, depending on timing, you may or may not need to complete this yourself. So I wouldn't say it's easy, and within each section there are detailed questions to go through, but at least you probably can say it is some logical order to the return. It sounds like there is still a lot of work involved. How accurate does it need to be, or can I just make some estimates? I mentioned that you need to sign off the return to say it is complete and accurate. So if you're using estimates, there is immediately a question of how accurate the return can then be. What you need to always keep in mind is that HMRC can commence an inquiry into your return up to 12 months after the date of submission. So you need to make sure you have full evidence to back up the entries you're making on your return. Indeed, you need to keep the underlying records to support the entries in your return for five years from the 31st of January following the end of the tax year. So the question becomes, if HMRC asks you to confirm a figure in your return and you've made an estimate, then what can you do? Actually, it's probably not so much what you can do, but what you should have done already to minimise the possibility of penalties being charged. Throughout the return, there are various boxes at the end of each supplementary page called white spaces. These are opportunities to make a free format narrative explanation of a particular figure in the return. Hence, if you are making an estimate because you don't know the actual figure, then you should use the white space to explain why this is being done. Then if HMRC do query the position, at least they should offer some protection against penalties. You'll usually find, for example, that those completing the self-employed section will use the white spaces a lot. This is to explain where expenditure, for example motor expenses, has part business use and part personal use, and hence what basis has been used to determine each proportion. Similarly, those with rental income may use the white space to explain further in more detail about certain repairs carried out if there could be a doubt as to whether these are actually repairs or capital improvements. 
Indeed, HMRC require you to use the white spaces in certain circumstances, for example when dealing with claiming foreign tax relief or if claiming non-UCAL domicile status. Now it's starting to sound complicated. Do people make a lot of errors? Errors can be loosely grouped into two categories. Firstly, most errors arise from the non-declaration of income. Most common is individuals missing off small amounts of investment income, especially bank interest. You need to remember that banks report interest paid to their customers directly to HMRC, so it's quite easy for them to pick up where this has not been properly declared. I've lost count of how many times I've seen clients not provide all their bank interest details to us to prepare their returns, and then HMRC have commenced an inquiry as a result. To some extent, HMRC take the attitude that if a taxpayer cannot get something as simple as bank interest correct, then what else could be wrong with the return? Secondly, errors arise from the actual treatment of items shown on the return. These can be as numerous as the boxes on the returns, but just to give you a flavour of some of the errors we've seen, employees who have changed jobs during the year have forgotten to include both employments on the return or where a bonus has been paid after a P45 has been issued, this has been missed off. This is particularly important when looking at the treatment of termination payments. In relation to partners of business partnerships, there are particular complexities when they commence or cease to be a partner and many errors can arise from this. But errors are not always those that increase the tax liability. For example, in relation to many taxpayers, personal pension contributions or gift aid donations go unclaimed. It should be remembered that if you pay these, you are eligible to claim higher rate tax relief. So I understand that I need to get the return right, make no errors, but what happens if I do make a mistake? Well, quite simply, there are financial penalties to pay. If you make errors in terms of not actually completing a tax return, then these penalties start at £100 and can quickly become daily penalties for continued non-compliance. Similarly, if you make an error of not paying the tax on time, in addition to automatic late penalty interest, there are also periodic penalties charged. However, the largest penalties are those that are charged in relation to making errors on a return. These are tax geared. So the larger the resultant tax adjustment, the larger the potential penalty. I've seen these runs into tens of thousands of pounds. In fact, there are three layers of penalties which HMRC can charge, linked to what they call taxpayer behaviour. The starting point is what they call careless errors, and for this the penalty could be up to around 30% of the tax at stake. However, you could equally have the penalty suspended and not even payable. The next level up is deliberate errors, where the penalty could be up to 70% of the tax at stake. Finally, there are errors that are both deliberate and concealed, and for this penalties could be 100% of the tax involved. Actually, in some circumstances, penalties can be 200% of the tax at stake, but that's going off topic. The best advice, therefore, is really to try and do as much as possible to ensure there are no errors in the return. It is also worth remembering that if HMRC do commence an inquiry into your return, they could also start to look at the last four years, or indeed the last six years, or even the last 20 years. That all sounds really frightening. I think the best thing for me to do is to give you the information and you can do the return. Good idea. Thank you very much for listening.